Football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum. Good morning. Welcome to a special edition of Football Forum. And I'm genuinely lost for words. I've had a couple of days to, to plan what I was going to say, but I'm at a loss. The news that came out on Friday morning that was leaked... And it's taken the best part of 36 hours for it to be confirmed officially by the club. But at half past eight last night on Saturday night, we got the confirmation that after almost five years as manager of this great football club, Chris Wilder has left Sheffield United. And the reasoning behind it, we're not entirely sure. Uh, We believe it's down to the fact that there's been disagreements uh, between most likely Prince Abdullah, the owner, and Chris Wilder over uh, the, the plan going forward for the club, uh, for transfers, and for financial reasons as well. Now, it has been confirmed, and the club have been swift to announce a, a replacement, an interim replacement. Uh, in the sense that Paul Heckingbottom, the current under-23s coach, will be in interim charge until the end of the season, along with Jason Tyndall, formerly of FC Bournemouth. He will join uh, the coaching staff. All the remaining coaching staff, we believe, are still at the club. Therefore, the only person to have left is the big man himself. Uh, Now, we will react to this news. It's the first time on Football Forum ever since we started that we have lost Chris Wilder. He's no longer part of uh, Sheffield football. Uh, Josh Chapman joins us uh, to dissect the news. And uh, we've also brought in uh, one of the last people to speak to Chris Wilder in an interview. Uh, That was after the Southampton game last weekend. Adam Oxley joins us from Football uh, Football Heaven. Sorry. Uh, morning, Adam. Great to have you on the programme. Uh, morning. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you with us. Uh, so, the news that none of us wanted, obviously, Chappers, five, almost five years of Chris Wilder, obviously, two promotions, winning League One with 100 points after being bottom after four games. Um, I mean, where, where do we start? Championship, getting us promoted with Leeds and our first series of the programme and all the the jokes we threw in the Mickey we had at Leeds, and rightly so, in all honesty. And the ninth place finish last season, and uh, for it all to come to an end like this, what was your immediate reaction when the news was well, when the news was was coming out on Friday, or when it was confirmed last night? Yeah, it, immediately I just felt sad. Uh, I guess sad that it had ended in the way that it that it sadly has ended. Um, an amazing four and a half year, five year run, um, and tenureship under Chris Wilder has has come to a very sudden and abrupt end, and and I think it's just a very disappointing way to to end his reign. 
Um, not one that anyone will have associated with the football club will have wanted. Fans, players, himself, the owners, the board. Um, I can't really imagine anybody would have wanted it to, to end this way. Um, and it's it's just very sad. And I think, I, I, I kind of didn't think that, obviously, this is the first first United-type programme that I've had to do <laughs> where we've sacked a manager because, you know, we've had the same one for the last four and a half years. And um, I, I guess you kind of don't, well, you don't, you don't become used to it. And I was just saying, obviously, a moment ago, that I don't really know, apart from feeling absolutely gutted, I don't really know how to feel because it, for me, it just doesn't seem real. And I think the fact, like I said a minute ago, before we came um, on the show, I think the fact that we're not allowed in football stadiums at the minute that we, I think as fans, we feel slightly detached from the club as it is because all we can do is, is watch and support from home. Um, I just think it doesn't feel particularly real. And I don't think it will really sink in until we're back on either. We're either back in the stands next, well, towards the back end of this season, beginning of the next, and he's not on the touchline or maybe it'll like, you know, start to feel slightly real this afternoon when, Come two o'clock, we'll see Paul Heckingbottom, Paul Tyndall. Uh, sorry, um, God, what's his name? Jason Tyndall uh, in the dugout, um, and along with Alan Nil, but a missing presence of, of Chris Wilder. So yeah, just absolutely gutted and, and bereft of real emotion. Really, mm. I don't know. Um, Adam, obviously, as we said, you were one of the last people to to interview Chris Wilder um, last Saturday after the Southampton defeat. And obviously, you've been one of those lucky enough to to actually be inside Bramall Lane and interview Chris um, sort of since the start of, of January when things have sort of started to be, become at loggerheads. Did you feel that this was actually going to happen now or do you think it was, it was something that was more heading towards the end of the season? Um, it's a really good question. I... I genuinely thought that he wouldn't leave. I thought that he would probably still be in charge and would stick around until next season. Um, I was on the press conference recently where he was asked these questions. You know, he said, will you be in charge next season? I don't know. Would you like to be in charge next season? Yes, absolutely. Um, Essentially, what happened a couple of years ago in the championship was, you know, there were a few disagreements then there's been plenty going on behind the scenes clearly with the ownership struggle between Kevin McCabe and the Prince and the and the court case and that's led to various sort of uh, to toings and froings behind the scenes so it's never been entirely plain sailing at Sheffield United whilst things have been going well uh, on the pitch um, but clearly um, there's been uh, some disagreements this season but I thought Chris was doing what he did the other year you know going public with a few of his his grumblings whilst being respectful to potentially um, push the board into um, action or moving things along in the same way as he'd like to. We heard about the plan the other week, his plan, which was around, I don't want to sell my players. I want to keep the group together. We need to see this investment in the facilities, particularly the academy and the training facilities that have been talked about for such a long time and and have been, um, you know, plans have come out from the club in the past about what they're going to look like. Um, and also the fact that Chris wanted to continue to manage, essentially, and not become a, a head coach with a director of football. And that seems to be the way the club is wanting to, to try and go. Clearly, 
in January when you know we interviewed Chris going into January, he, he made it quite clear that he wanted a couple of loan players, not permanent signings. You know, wasn't didn't want to break the bank and add another twenty million pound player, but wanted somebody in midfield, wanted a left uh, centre back as as cover for Jack O'Connell. When that didn't materialise through January, you started feeling a bit like okay. So this this is a, a pretty public indication, really, that um, the board aren't fully backing Chris in the way that he'd like. And then gradually since then, we've heard different noises, different demeanours from Chris in press conferences, uh, various little bits of frustration, of, like I said, talking about uh, his plan and not saying whether he knows he's going to be there. And clearly we've got to a point this week where that relationship has broken down. I've seen um, some messages on social media that the League Managers Association had been brought in to try and uh, assist with it. Um, and then clearly on, on Friday, um, it's mutual consent is what it's been called by the club. Um, he's not been sacked. He's not resigned. Whether Chris has felt like he's in been put in a position where he feels like he can't continue, that seems to be a, a reading of the situation. Publicly, it's all very amicable. Stephen Bettis, the CEO last night, the club releasing a, a video on that uh, with, um, you know, some some nice words about Chris. I mean, I think a lot of fans, and I've seen a lot on social media this morning from fans wanting, you know, where's the, the tribute to this guy that's the double promotion winning manager and for everything he's seen. I don't know whether we'll see more in the coming days and weeks along that. Who knows? But clearly the club... Um, wants to go in a slightly different direction to Chris Wilder. Is that the right call at the moment? I think you'd say the majority of people think no because of what Chris has done and the excellent work he's done over the five years in not just turning the club's fortunes around on the pitch, but reconnecting everybody. You know, very much Chris is seen as one of one of their own at Sheffield United, that he is... He's the guy that's gone from ball boy to fan in the stand to building his managerial career up and then taking United on this amazing journey over the last four and a half, five years. Um, but now we wait to see. I mean, you know the way that football works. Sheffield United, have, you know, Dave Bassett eventually went, Neil Warnock eventually went. These were guys that did incredible jobs that are revered, potentially not quite as much as Chris Wilder is going to be revered, but pretty close to them. And life moves on. Lessons, Chris wanted to learn lessons from the past, from those people, and away particularly when Warn Neil Warnock left and the club um, made seemingly bad decision after bad decision and ended up in League One for a number of years, wanted things to change. We wait to see if in a year's time, Sheffield United are sat, I don't know, let's say first or second in the championship and looking like they're going back into the Premier League, are people going to look back on this moment and think, oh, God, I wish we wish Chris Wilder was still in charge? I'm sure there'll be quite a lot of that. There'll also be a lot of fans thinking, oh, maybe it was the right decision. Doesn't necessarily feel it by now, but, you know, I think at the minute there'll be a lot of people that aren't prepared to give the club um, that much time to see if the changes work. But if they do work, then I'm sure, as footballings and the nature is, people will come round to it. But I think those conversations and, and a lot of people aren't, aren't really prepared to entertain that school of thought right now uh, with just how sort of raw it is that, that Chris is now uh, now not the manager. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point, actually. I think the difficulty or the added difficulty is that because of who Chris Wilder is, you know, all the fans are, I don't want to say overreacting because I don't think fans are overreacting, but I think it, it hurts more. And I think the decision is ever more baffling that he's been sacked because of who Chris is and, and because of Chris's history um, with the club, like you say, from ball boy to player to fan to manager, um, you know, to taking us to the promised land from the depths of League One when seemingly no one else could. You know, I remember obviously the season before Chris came in, you, you, you look at Nigel Adkins and, you know, at this, before that season started, before Adkins came in, he was the he was the man on everybody's lips. Everybody wanted Nigel Adkins to come in because of what he'd done with Southampton and his track record at getting clubs out of League One and, and into better uh, and greater things. Adkins comes in, makes some very questionable decisions. One of them, the bringing in of Dean Hammond, who uh, will not go down in Sheffield United folklore um, as one of a hero. Um, and ended up finishing, what was it, ninth or 10th that 11th. season? Yeah, one of the worst seasons that we'd had in, in League One. And I don't think United fans actually thought that was possible to do worse than we already had done. Um, you know, and the club was just so at rock bottom when, when Chris came in. Um, and then, you know, there was a real energy about it. And then the, we're going to lose the first four games and you think, surely not again. This surely can't be happening again. Um, but then obviously just seeing the rise through the ranks and, and it's absolutely incredible, but obviously that is always going to leave, lead to some really strong feelings when the day inevitably does come that Chris was not going to be manager anymore. And obviously that was last night. Um, and I think I think you're right, Adam, in, in saying that obviously if if United really do get the next appointment right, and I'm sure we'll come on to who we think that might be later on, but if United get the next appointment right and sit first and second in the championship with eight or nine games to go, then we'll, I think fans have no choice but to think, you know what, maybe it was the right thing to do. Um, maybe, it, maybe it was the right decision to make to, to part ways and bring somebody else in and have a potential change of philosophy because I think, like you said, that's a big part of it from, from what I've seen and heard and whatever, you know, Jan van, Jan van Winkle um, has or will be probably taking over a slightly more influential role within the club probably a change of transfer policy in terms of probably looking more uh, continental, um, you know, bringing some of the lesser known, lesser expensive players in from Europe that could turn into absolute gems rather than spending big on young English players that whilst have had a decent season or two have not necessarily been proven. The likes of Aaron Ramsdale and Rian Brewster just for two who both came with expensive price tags and have not at times necessarily necessarily delivered. Ramsdale has in recent weeks and months but at the start of the season really didn't and Brewster, well he's just not got going at all. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think I think the emotional side is, is slightly too high for United fans at the moment and I think as a result of the connection between Chris and the fans and his history with the club, I think it makes it even more difficult that or for fans to accept that he has gone and is no longer going to be in that dugout. And I think at the moment, the Prince is probably the most hated man in Sheffield right now, unless you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan and it's probably Chan Siri. Um, so between the two owners, they're not doing particularly well in the popularity stakes at the moment. They're not indeed. And um, obviously we know that this decision was taken as a result of disagreements between the board and Chris Wilder. 
in recent months, obviously, we, we said, uh, you've just said there, Chappers, Rian Brewster was signed for, for £23.5 million pounds, um, in the end of September. We had Aaron Ramsdale coming in um, in the uh, the transfer window back in the summer, or, well, September, if you like. And there's Sander Berger as well that was brought in last January um, for a club record fee at the time. And all these signings, Ollie McBurney could be could be seen as another one, £20 million. All these sort of big money signings that Sheffield United have, have spent since their rise to the Premier League. I was reading somewhere last night that their sixth for net Premier League spend since promotion back in 2019. Do you think it was a case, Chappers, that the board sort of got a little bit fed up? <clears throat> Excuse me, because there was something I was reading that the board weren't happy with Wilder's sort of focus on trying to get Ramsdale and Brewster because they wanted... And that ultimately led to not being able to get Watkins and Thomas Suchek. But thinking about it, surely the reason that Ollie Watkins didn't want to, didn't come to the club was because he was on too high a high wage anyway. So Wilder ended up looking towards Brewster as a sort of a backup option. And the main reason that he wouldn't be able to get the wages was because Prince Abdullah didn't want to increase the wage structure at the club. Yeah, it's a, it's a question that will probably rumble on for quite a while and a question we'll probably never find the answer to. Um, who was really... Well, what, what were the real opinions on the transfer strategy at United? Um, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's something that I've seen as well, that apparently the club wanted to look at bringing in players like Thomas Suchek and one or two others. don't know how true that is, but it's you know something that's been reported. Um, and apparently... Again, apparently, you know, Chris Wilder didn't necessarily want that. He wanted, you know, specific types of players and wanted to go and chase the likes of Ramsdale and, and Brewster and, and sign them on the dot or get them to sign on the dotted line, whatever the cost. Um, and apparently there's some frustration in that. You, you you never know what goes on behind the net curtains of suburbia, as they say. And uh, I guess we probably won't ever know. But I think in terms of transfers in the last season or two, I think they have been not particularly effective. Um, I think the only one for me that really stands out as somebody who's done a consistently good job in probably the last season or season and a half is, is Jaden Bogle. Um, I think he's been excellent since he's, whenever he's played. Um, and I think he has become a real asset. Don't get me wrong. I do think others have done well in, in patches, but I don't think they've done consistently well. I think Ollie McBurney shows his absolutely absolute difficultness for or difficulty not difficultness difficulty for defenders to to defend against and, and play against because he is an absolute handful at times you know Ollie Burke as well his, his pace and power is is frightening but his end product consistently lets him down which is so frustrating because he gets into such brilliant position and then it's almost like he runs out of ideas and where to go and, and what to do and either just shoots on ceremony which ends up by either being high in the stand or, you know, out for a throw-in or something like that, or he ends up just running into a dark alley and getting crowded out. And, you know, that's that's frustrating to see. And then, obviously, you've got, like I said, Rian Brewster, who still hasn't scored despite playing quite a few minutes for United. But is that necessarily down to him? Not necessarily. I think 
a lot of times we've not got the ball up to him quick enough. And I think that's not just been a case for him. I think that's been the case for the strikers full stop this season. We've not got the ball into those areas quick enough. We've not got the, the quality on the deliveries into the box. Um, and I think that has been a, a real team issue this year. So I'm not sure how much blame we can necessarily put on him. Um, and then Aaron Ramsdale, who who had a torrid first three or four months, um, making so many individual mistakes leading to goals. I can just, I've got the one against Man United on repeat where he's he's somehow, I don't even know what he's done. It's, it's like he's gone under him and gone a completely different direction into the corner and, you know, made a lot of other mistakes as well. So, and like I said, whilst he has come good recently, uh, made some excellent save. I you know, think especially to the Liverpool game where he, he single-handedly kept us in that game for a, for a long period of it. Um, you know, like I say, he has come good in the last few weeks and months, but I think at the start of the season, he was he was really struggling. So, yeah, I mean, transfers, as far as Chris Wilder, you know, has, has done, I'm, I'm not necessarily blown away. And, you know, he has spent for Sheffield United a lot of money, you know, as far you know, as far as Sheffield United are concerned, you know, hundred million quid is is a lot of money, and probably not something that's ever been spent in a in a season, let alone in over five or six seasons. You know, and it's not worked. Um, and is that a contributing factor to the to, to the fact he's gone? Highly likely, because I think now we will see a, a slight change in transfer policy slightly look elsewhere to, to what we have been doing. Um, and I guess time will tell if, if that's a good thing or not. But, you know, it, it seems to be a part of his of his undoing, really. So that's... Now, we've heard the, the, the glass half-empty version of Chris Wilder's <laughs> uh, transfer approach for the last few years. Just a couple of... I'm bits. always here to deliver that. Always here. And, and to be fair, I think that is the, the majority view in what you've just said, Josh, from a lot of Sheffield United fans. Um, I'll add a couple of caveats on that, if, if you don't mind. Um, I mean, essentially, Chris Wilder has delivered Sheffield United to the Premier League over the last few years. Two seasons in the Premier League, which will have netted the club probably around 250 to 300 million quid. So, um, the transfer spend is a third to a half of that money so far. Sheffield United's record signing before the Premier League was £4 million. For John Egan. So this is a squad made up of League Two, League One and Championship players that needed some investment to try and compete in the Premier League. And £20 million for a player in Sheffield United's money, as Josh has just said, is like a billion pounds. But £20 million in the Premier League is actually just a bog-standard player. I did Barnsley against Bournemouth yesterday Bournemouth are nowhere near as big a club as Sheffield United, but have just spent the last five years in the Premier League. I was rattling off player after player after player yesterday that was bought for between 15 and £25 million in Bournemouth's lineup in the Championship. It's pretty much standard what you need to do in the Premier League is to spend a little bit of money. So, yes, Chris for Sheffield United spent a hell of a lot of money, but in reality, he's brought in a hell of a lot more that hasn't been invested in the squad. I think you're right to point out the wages. I think that is the key sticking point with the transfers. Sheffield United did not want to go over a certain limit. That's why they missed out definitely on Watkins and Cash, who were big Chris, Chris Wilder targets. I'm not sure if there was ever anything in Socek. I think he probably would have cost too much money. 
I know those reports have been uh, going around as well. So we had to look differently in terms of Brewster. Um, I don't think Chris actually wanted to sign him permanently. Um, the, the talk for a lot of that was about getting him in on loan. And then suddenly at the last minute, we all thought he was coming in on loan for the season. And then suddenly Sheffield United to break the bank to bring him in. You know, did Chris actually want to sign him permanently? We don't know. He's not said that publicly. Um, but, you know, if Rian Brewster comes in as a, as a loan to support the existing strikers this season, rather than a £23 million signing, I think everybody looks on that transfer very, very differently. I think you're right to point Bogle out. I think it's it's easy to look at this season now with hindsight, the fact Chris has gone and United are bottom of the league and going back down to the championship and pour over the last two years and go, oh, his signings have been have been terrible. And I know you're not saying that, Josh. You've put quite a bit of context on it. But Bogle's a good signing. Uh, Lowe, we haven't seen the best of him yet this season. Uh, Robinson, for a sort of makeshift kind of player, has actually come in and done all right at times. I think Osborne's been a usual, a useful uh, backup option um, that's filled in in a number of players and his work rate is incredible. I don't think you'll find many Sheffield United fans that will criticise the signing of Sander Berger because he was starting to look exceptional. I actually take a, a different approach to Aaron Ramsdale. I thought he had a tough start to the season, but he didn't make nowhere near as many errors as people are making out. And he's actually been superb now for about three or four months. And he will be the number one keeper at Sheffield United for years. And for £18 million, I think that is going to be a bargain in the long term. That's just my opinion, having seen him. And I know a lot of people share the same opinion that you do, Josh. Um, and that, you know, it's troubled season. But you look at the team that was in front of Dean Henderson. This has been talked about a lot compared to the team that Aaron Ramsdale came into. Very different scenarios. In terms of the strikers, yeah, Everybody wanted more goals from Moussa. Everybody wanted more goals from uh, McBurney. Ollie Burke is clearly a quality player who is probably worth a punt, but obviously hasn't scored enough goals. Um, same can be said of McBurney. What he brings to the team, though, I think has contributed a lot. And nobody was criticising his signing last season when Sheffield United finished ninth in the division. Moussa has clearly got a lot of issues away from the pitch. But when United got him playing last season, he had that devastating two or three months where he looked like an incredible player. So I think all, all I'm trying to say with that is, yeah, there's a lot of players that are still ones for the future. I think there's a lot more to come from Ramsdale. I think there's a lot more to come from Brewster. I think Bogle and Lowe and others have got a lot more to bring. Um, some haven't necessarily worked as much as anything else. Um, and a few of them will have to probably wait to judge a little bit. But overall, has you know, as Chris Wilder's transfer business been disastrous? I'd say with the potentially the wage limitations and the amount of work that uh, just needed to be done to try and get Sheffield United squad to be able to even vaguely compete, needed the kind of investment that it got. Did indeed, um, Chappers. I'll I'll add in my two penneth for what it's worth because uh, even though despite being the the sort of the neutral anchor on this program. As many know, I am a Sheffield United fan. And in all honesty, I'm absolutely heartbroken by the news because it's, I've not really experienced Sheffield United as much as a lot of people. I've been to a handful of games over the last decade. I've not really been able to see them much. And I think 
that after seeing the the FA Cup exploits under Nigel Clough and turning them around from from he, from the relegation zone of of League One to to almost making it into the playoffs that season, and then what Chris Wilde has done. I mean, it's like I put on social media last night. I only got to witness one game in that season last season against Brighton. And for me, seeing Sheffield United with that Premier League logo next to it on the advertising boards and what have you, it's something I could never believe. I mean, I mean, watching the, the championship run in when we beat Leeds and what have you, uh, and that, that was just unbelievable. And the fact that we've been on this ride, there's a lot of people that will say Prince Abdullah is the rightful owner of the club fair enough so he makes the decisions i think in this one exception i think chris wilder should be making the decisions when it comes to the football matters and the transfer matters because he's proved he can do it you see what he did at northampton town that club couldn't afford to pay the tea lady he sorted out the finances of the club and took them from relegation to the League Two title. Now, there is some people that may say Wilder, well, with Prince Abdullah and Kevin McKay, when that was sorted out, everyone thought that when Prince Abdullah won, that was going to be the right move because Kev- there was this word that Kevin McCabe, once, if he'd have won... He was about to sell it and ready to sell it to Alan Pace and the, the consortium that's now bought Burnley. And from what I've read, the Burnley are now £20 million in debt. I don't know whether that's true, but that's what I've heard. And we we're all thinking that, that Prince Abdullah was, was going to be keeping with Chris Wilder for the long term and there was a long term future. Now, because I think what it is personally down to it is a sense that the Prince has seen this as a business venture in the sense that we didn't expect the plan was never to get into the premier league within sort of two seasons. It was to stick in the championship for, for a good amount of time, establish ourselves, and then push up to the premier league with investment. We got a little bit lucky in the sense that how we went up with Leeds and what have you in the championship and the sort of the plan was accelerated rather quickly. And I think this, despite of how amazing it was last season, I think we all expected Sheffield United to be hanging sort of just above the relegations. As Chris Wilder said on numerous occasions, 17th was the plan in the Premier League. And I think personally, the Prince has seen that there's a lot of money being spent, which as we've been talking about, £100 million on signings isn't a lot when it comes to the Premier League, is a lot when it comes to Sheffield United. And I think the Prince has seen all this success as a lot of owners rightfully do when it comes to football and we see it a lot they get the success and the the vast money that comes with being in the premier league and he's desperate to hold on and get that premier league sort of entitlement that comes with a lot of money and the success of being in the premier league and he just wants that ever more and so he's taken this decision to get rid of Chris Wilder. And I think Chris Wilder has been backed into a corner and he's just said, I've had enough. I mean, we all remember what happened with the Crystal Palace game 
uh, at, at, uh, when we lost uh, at the start of January. And I'm not, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but he said, I can't deal with this balls anymore to, to, to use a non-expletive. And at that point, he looked like he, he was done. In all honesty, a lot of people think he was. But I genuinely think that this is what I am absolutely disgusted by the move that has been made. If ever there was a, we always say, if there's people, manage, football managers should leave on their own terms. Sir Alex Ferguson was one, and he's the only one I can think of because even Arsene Wenger, he was technically sacked at Arsenal. And for all the, the, the sadness I went through when Arsenal Wenger got sacked, this hurts even more. Obviously, at hometown club, boyhood club. But what Chris Wilder has done in those five years, and I'm not just having to go up the Prince, rightfully so, but the Prince, I think, does not completely understand, and the board as well, does not completely understand what Chris Wilder means to this football club and the plan that Chris Wilder had, because at the end of the day, it's very, very rare to see a fan, a fan of a hometown club manage their football club, get the success that they have done in the space of what they've done and then pretty much been backed into a corner and shown the door because Chris Wilder seem, I think knows what's best for this club and the Prince Abdullah does not like that. Chappers in these five years that we've had, obviously we said, we said that uh, in the club statement that United put out last night, they didn't give, a lot to Chris. It was, I think it was 17 words in total. We will rightfully pay him a tribute for what he's done. And about 98% of the fan base will do the same. What would you say are your best memories? And you, how would you reflect on Chris Wilder's time at Sheffield United football club? Um, well, where do you start really? Um, I think if we go all the way back league one, like I said earlier, losing those first four games, you just had that sense of, oh, God, here we go again, type thing. Another season languishing, mid-table finish, not going to get, we're never going to get out of League One. Um, and I remember going to the, I, I was, I went to the Gillingham game with my younger brother. Um, my mum was living in, in London at the time and I was down and I thought, well, let's, let's go to the match. Um, and I said to Samuel, my younger brother, while we we're on the train there, I said, what, what do you reckon the score is going to be? He said 2-1 United. And I thought, oh yeah, likely story. After watching us getting battered 4 0 at Gillingham, well, after seeing us get battered 4 0 at Gillingham the season before, I thought, good Lord. And, you know, what turned out to be not the prettiest of performances, but one that got the job done and, and really set us on that road to um, incredible scenes in League One promotion um, and an absolutely vital victory at Priestfields that day. Um, and one that, like I say, set us on the way. And I think that that was one of my highlights, just being there, being at that game that that really got our season going, I guess, um, was was brilliant. But then if I fast forward into the championship promotion season, I've said this story a few times on here, but I remember when we played Leeds away from home in that fateful day where Basham arrived, etc. I was watching in a pub in York, surrounded by Leeds fans, uh, with my girlfriend, who wasn't even my girlfriend at the time, 
Um, but she was living in York. I'd stayed over, and I said, "Right, I need to. I need to watch the game somewhere." So we went to this pub. I know it's surrounded by Leeds fans. I think there were me and there were one other United fan, <laughs> about five people behind me, and we both went mental. A when Basham put one in, B when Casilla got sent off, and C when the final whistle was finally blown and there was just a sea of disappointed Leeds fans and us two nutcases and my other half who had no idea what on earth was going on um, just going mental and that was that was a very special day um, but I think one of the one of the best games that I've seen and what, well one of the best weekends of football was was the Easter weekend that season when we played Forest on Good Friday beat them was it 2-1 or 2-0 I can't remember but beat them and Leeds lost and he thought, surely not. And then we went to Hull on the Monday and it was a beautiful day, beautiful day. Had fish and chips before. Oh, it was a brilliant day. And then watched David McGoldrick turn into Prime, whoever you want. Picked a beautiful one. All the Hull fans were having absolute shed collapses because George Long had gone in and they thought it were deliberate and they thought that George Long were letting goals in deliberately. And I'm thinking, yeah, you watch anybody try and keep that second McGoldrick effort out. Beautiful finish. Um, and then Leeds lost late that night away at Brentford. And he thought, oh, my days, it's happening. Isn't it? it is happening. And uh, obviously on that fateful day when we played Ipswich. Um, and do you know what? I wasn't, even, I, I'm disappointed to say, and saddened to say, because I don't feel like a true fan. I wasn't even at the game. I was at work in Meadowall. And I just, I was, I've never been so good to miss a football match ever. And I, I, I was talking to Connor afterwards. He was like, why didn't you ring in sick? I was like, I'm too honest for that. Um, but yeah, missed the game. But uh, just that feeling of finally, well, reaching what seemed a, a promised land is something that never been forgotten. And I just want to touch on your previous point in a minute, Hadfield, um, where you were talking about, you know, staying in the championship for a few seasons. And I think... United under Chris Wilder were too good for their own good, if that makes sense. And I think they probably reached the Premier League too quickly um, because I don't think the the structure was quite in place for us to to really, not necessarily compete in the Premier League because we did more than that in the first season, but I think it was such a shock to so many that we got there so quickly that we weren't quite ready to be there. And we had to make, not emergency signings, but signings we you know would have probably made over a longer period of time to give us a, a greater foundation um and I think maybe we've slightly paid the price for that this season but especially with our, our injury issues but that's just my my thoughts on that one I think we've probably reached the Premier League too quickly and to be fair did I ever think we'd reach the Premier League <sighs> not for a number of years anyway and uh, it was just a a dream come true in, a, in an incredible five seasons and you know watching us Oh, one of my highlights of the Premier League era. Oh, West Ham at home. Oh, when McBurney puts his 1-0 up after I thought he was going to miss that chance one-on-one against, um, was it Date? I can't remember. It was in net for West Ham that night. But I thought he was going to miss and he ended up putting it. David Martin. I knew it said David Marshall and I knew that weren't right. Um, but David Martin. And then when the tears, I nearly cried when Snodgrass equalised. And then the tears of happiness, I nearly cried, or probably did cry when it got ruled out by VAR. And I just saw, oh, a sea of disappointed Hammers faces wearing Carlos Tevez masks. That is grown men wearing Carlos Tevez masks. That is something I will never forget. What a memory, what a journey. And I'll, I'll miss that man with my heart. Not Carlos Tevez, Chris Wilder, obviously. I won't miss Carlos Tevez. No, Chris Wilder. I can, I can definitely agree with that one. Obviously, Adam, you've been 
at Football Heaven for uh, for many years, obviously uh, covering Barnsley and whatnot, and obviously with your promotion to to the big the big trio, shall we say? Um, obviously, you've had quite a few commentaries when it comes to Sheffield United, and even part of our intro now. So that's uh, that's something to to be proud of. Um, what would you? How, how are you going to remember Chris Wilder and and the journey that? Uh, that he went on uh, as manager of Sheffield United. I was doing a little bit of this reflecting last night, and it's really interesting because when Chris Wilder was appointed at, at Sheffield United, I was still working for South Yorkshire Police while freelancing for Radio Sheffield. Um, I'd actually not had my second sort of mini mental health breakdown as well. I know that's something that we've talked about as well, which in my head I was like, flipping it, was that before all that happened? And obviously in the course of that, I've had twins, my dad's passed away and all this has happened over the last five years while Chris Wilder's obviously been in charge of Sheffield United. I mean, I was lucky enough to do some Sheffield United games before I became full-time. Um, I'll always remember one away at, at Fleetwood where uh, Ethan Ebanks Landell um, scored late on and interviewing Chris after the game uh, there on the uh, on the on the filed coast and all that kind of stuff. So that's, uh, that's, that's one that from like the early days that, that springs to mind. But I mean, for me to, to get full time with Radio Sheffield, September, 2018, my first full season at Radio Sheffield, they get promoted to the Premier League. That season ended, I was um, on the pitch at Stoke uh, when promotion was confirmed with all those celebrations uh, in front of the away end. I was on the pitch with all the players and, and Chris and was watching that all first hand when they're doing like this big train around the pitch and Chris is shoving all the different players forward so they can all have a little bit of that. I was then the reporter on the on the bus as it made its way from Bramall Lane to the town centre. I remember a flare being thrown on by the fans that landed in the bus and I'm sat downstairs and there's uh, red smoke billowing. I then went upstairs. You got like little slots to go up and interview people. So um, I actually managed to interview Simon Moore, who'd hardly played, which was a really interesting interview to sort of do that. But spoke to John Egan and a few others. And I remember speaking to John for, I got about a minute with him. And he was, he was just hammered. They, they'd had, they were on, they'd got crates of cider and everything on that bus. And they were just having a great time. And, uh, John Egan, just um, in his thick Irish accent that he does, I was just like, John, what what, what can you say about all this? And he just turns around, unbelievable scenes, outrageous scenes in this amazing thick Irish accent and just really half cut. And that will, that will never leave me, those little memories, um, professionally. From the Premier League, I mean, again, very lucky to commentate on Sheffield United, both when fans were there, and in Project Restart, Everton away when Lise Mousse scores and Sheffield United, a uh, bit like Daylight Robbery, come away with a 2-0 win. But when Lise scored, um, probably one of the best calls I've ever done on a goal as well. Uh, so I was very proud of that one. Wasn't Lise Mousse's effort that day the only shot on target despite the fact we won 2-0 because Everton yeah. scored an own goal? Yeah. yeah. I remember I was in Leeds that day in a meeting and I was listening to your commentary and I thought, how on earth are we 
coming away with a 2 0 victory because Everton <laughs> were just wave after wave. Yeah, it was, but Sheffield United were were, were dogged, they were organised, everything that Chris Wilder from a defensive perspective last season, everything that went right. You know, everybody did their role, everybody did their jobs and they took the chance. And that was a secret of a lot of success last season. Um, I think probably the um, the other one, I mean, I got to commentate on Manchester City at home. I know it was a defeat, but they played really well that night. And then I got to do the Tottenham game in Project in uh, in, in July last year when they won 3-1 and just as a, a strange day with no fans inside the stadium. But that week with the Chelsea game and the Wolves game as well, to do the Tottenham game and for them to just be so impressive against a, a Spurs side will be a, a game that lives long in the memory. This scene's just been bizarre. Just been, just been very strange. Everything that could go against Sheffield United um, has gone against Sheffield United, really, from every angle that you want to look at it but it's still been a real privilege to to essentially work uh, while Chris Wilder has been charged with Sheffield United to be uh, you know we do the club's commentary so all the, um, the the goals from the Chris Wilder era will have mine and Andy's um, voices attached to them which is you know uh, something that um, is certainly something to take away from the last few years commentating in the Premier League and um, he's done a, an incredible job for the club, one that may never be matched again. Um, maybe the achievement may be, but just with the nature of who Chris is and um, his connection with the club, it'll be very difficult to replicate everything that's happened for the last five years for, for the football club. And it's just, it, I think, you know, look, looking in as a, as a football, you know, football heaven presenter and commentator. It's just sad that it's finished the way it has without fans inside stadiums, without Chris getting a sort of send-off that that he deserves after five years. And, you know, hopefully in time after things settle down, something can be done where he might be able to come back or I, I don't know. that it, it, Football doesn't necessarily work like that. Um, but I know that he will be, he'll be fondly remembered by Sheffield United fans. He will always be a Sheffield United fan. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's sat at home with a beer watching this afternoon when they face Leicester. Took the words right out of my mouth there because uh, he, he does deserve the, the send-off that he, he hasn't been able to get. Um, but this is one thing I was thinking last night. It wouldn't surprise me that the first time that fans are back in, uh, Chris Wilder will be getting a match ticket and will be back in that stadium, that in Bramall Lane, as soon as he can. Because at the end of the day, even though he's not manager, and obviously the way he's departed will hurt him, he'll be back in that stadium. He'll be back in that ground. Uh, if he's got enough loyalty points, though. <laughs> he needs to have enough loyalty points, otherwise he can't get a ticket, unfortunately. He should have unlimited loyalty points after what he's done. Um but the, the sad thing that, that a lot of people have been saying, and uh, although it is difficult to accept, is that, that football does have to move on and Sheffield United do have to move on from this. And there is a game at Leicester, obviously, today. Um, and we'll quickly finish up by looking ahead to the future. Obviously, we know Heckingbottom and Tyndall are in charge uh, until the end of the season and nil and what have you. I think nil should have been given interim manager until the end of the season for all it's worth. Who do we look to the championship? I mean, one positive is that uh, 
obviously uh, Daniel Mann is going to be doing Sky commentary for Sheffield United last uh, next season, which that's completely fine by me. Obviously, Adam, Andy and Mike will be doing as well. Chappers, who do you think United should look to to a point? I mean, Thierry Henry is available. Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, I've seen the list with the bookies and there's not a lot of names on there that I'm overly excited about, um, in all honesty. Um, if I was going to narrow it down to one or two, I would take Slavon Bilic um, after the job did at West Brom. Um, I, I think he'd be a, a good appointment. One of the other people I would definitely take um, in a heartbeat is potentially look at Valerian Ishmael at Barnsley. Uh, look at the job he's doing currently with the Reds. I know it's probably a bit of a left of centre choice, but um, I think if he can, you know, do the job that he's doing with a squad that, you know, no offence to Barnsley is on the lower end of, um, you know, costing financially, you know, it's not an expensive squad, um, but, you know, they're probably in a similar situation to Sheffield United in, in the fact that, you know, they've not got a great deal of expensive players. Um, and a lot of that is is team spirit, team spirit and hard work. Um, I'd, I'd maybe look at giving him a shot. One of the names that has also been thrown about is Michael Appleton, who I think has done a, an excellent job at Lincoln. Um, and if you're going to look down the leagues for a manager in leagues one and two, I think he's one that immediately shouts out at me. So for me, probably one of those three. I don't think there's a great deal of, of other options that I'd really want to take. I did see Mark Hughes on the list. Gordon Bennett, definitely not for me. Thank you. No, thanks at all um, and my dad absolutely cannot stand him but there you are that's a different story um, so yeah for me Billich, Ishmael or um, Michael Appleton and I don't really understand fans heads coming off over Appleton um, I did see a few last night that weren't particularly happy but I'd, I'd give Appleton a chance any day one thing I, is for sure definitely don't want Neil Lennon thank you very much I'll agree with that one Adam uh, we'll, we'll come to you finally who from a from a professional point of view, who do you think would be best for Sheffield United when they're back in the championship? Uh, well, I, it's going to be an incredibly hard act to follow. I think the first thing to say is I don't. I think for the majority of Sheffield United fans, whoever comes in won't be Chris Wilder for one. Um, and even the Prince obviously came out um, a few months ago, did the uh, exclusive interview with Andy to say that Chris Wilder was the man that they wanted to bring the, if, if the worst happened, to bring the club back. And I'm sure if Sheffield United could hire anybody this summer, they'd want to hire Chris Wilder. But that's obviously not the option. I think obviously um, Paul Heckingbottom and Jason Tindall are both in clearly prime positions to see if they might take over. And it wouldn't shock me if, if um, you know, results might not, you know, I don't think anybody in the right mind is expecting United to stay up. I think that what people are hoping is that performances can pick up a little, get a few wins, and that there's a little bit more of a sort of positive feeling on the pitch uh, going into next season. Um, they, to me, if if the the words last night around uh, using the academy players and trying to get a few more of them in, if that's sort of the school of thinking and sort of building your own in, then you'd have thought those two may well have a good chance of, of sticking it out longer. I'm not sure that fans would be thrilled with that. But at the end of the day, like I said, I don't think anybody will uh, will quite follow Chris Wilder. In terms of the other names, um, I wouldn't discount Neil Lennon. 
I know he's not a particularly popular choice, but he has done very well. Um, I'm told he's he's very sort of personable from a, a media perspective as well. Um, I think Valerian Ishmael was mentioned on last night's Praise or Grumble. I know Barnsley fans listening to this will be absolutely screaming. They were last night saying, get off our manager because he's doing a wonderful job. But you look at how he plays with three at the back and two out wide and, um, you know, pressing and a few options forward. And you can sort of map that across to Sheffield United squad a little bit. So it'd be a brave decision. Uh, but the, there is a little bit of, um, there's some method in that I could see. Um, I don't know. I mean, in terms of the other names, I just think it's going to be incredibly hard. I, I just, I, I can't see Sheffield United going for um, sort of a, a big name manager that's been right at the top of the game, even like a, a Slavon Bilic or somebody like that. I think it, it, it potentially is more likely that they'll keep with the two that they've got or go with somebody like uh, Appleton or, or somebody from the lower leagues. But um, it will be fascinating to see how these next few months go towards the end of the season um, and then what the board will do in the summer. And I'm sure we'll speak once all those matters have been sorted out and and take stock again and, and see if and see what happens next season, which, you know, 99.99% is going to be in the championship. Uh, yeah, I think that's one certainty, isn't it? That... Uh no matter what's going to happen in the next 10 games or so, next season will definitely be in the Championship. But for me, I don't necessarily think I want Eckenbottom and Tyndall. And I'm more than prepared to be proved wrong. And I hope they go on a massive run, you know, until the end of the season. But I just don't think, for me, that they're quite the people for the job. Um, I think there's probably better options out there. But you're probably right in that it wouldn't surprise me if they do go for one, both or, or the other. So... I'm really not sure, but I think this, make no mistake about it, I think this is one of the most crucial appointments at United. Indeed. Well, that is about it. In all honesty, the best person that Sheffield United could hire as manager, Chris Wilder's available. Um, but obviously, it's going to have to be someone else. Thanks for joining us for this very special Sheffield United edition of Football Forum. The news that Chris Wilder has left Sheffield United after almost five years in charge of the Blades. Uh, my thanks to Adam for joining us and Chappers as well for uh, for being on the programme. We are back next week. But from all of us, the Sheffield United saga of Chris Wilder is now finally over. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Shoe Radio. So Bringing you the latest football news from Sheffield and beyond. This is Shoe Football Forum.